0: You're listening to the Fuck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Cuomo Advisors altered report on COVID-19 nursing home deaths. That was the story on the Wall Street Journal just yesterday. I, I want to make sure that we all focus in on this because I know the media is spending a lot of time on the sexual harassment allegations about Cuomo and That's fine. He's a creepy old weirdo. I get it. I'm with you on all that. But what he did in the nursing home fiasco was far more egregious as a matter of public conduct and far more damaging to the Democrat Party and brand and the media, too. That's a mega scandal, not not a thing that can be apologized for, not a thing that you can just wave aside with a hand and a few tears and say, I'll do better other times, I promise. That's not the way this works. We need to continue to hammer home the point here that Cuomo had people on his staff intentionally change numbers about deaths during a pandemic. This would be like a general lying about troops killed in battle so he could keep his job. That's how serious this is. You have to understand the degree to which this changed thinking and this mattered at this period in time of extremely important and tense decision making. Maybe people would have thought differently about oh I don't know, the Great Barrington Declaration about focused protection for seniors if they had known just how egregious The government misconduct, how how awful the decision making was in New York. Remember, New York and New Jersey, number number two and number one, respectively, for covid deaths per 100000 people in the United States, both very deep blue Democrat states. Let's remember that. And yet somehow Cuomo was a hero. He was second only to Fauci, to whom I can only say he needs to go Fauci himself Second only to Fauci in terms of the hero worship from the media. What the heck was this all about? How did this even happen? There's so much going on here. First of all, you have the fact that if you're a Democrat, you can get away with things that you would never be able to. If this were Republican, imagine this were Christy Nome. Imagine this were Ron DeSantis. If Ron DeSantis hid 15,000 uh, nursing home deaths by, by undercounting it by 50%. So whatever. They said it was roughly you know, 7,500, let's say. Something along, that, along those lines. If he said that it was 7,500, it was really 15,000, people would be demanding not only he resign. And when I say people, I mean universal. There would be universal nationwide condemnation in the media. It would be the top story. And there's just this kind of muted, half-hearted reportage on it from the Democrat outlets. You know, yeah, it looks like maybe a crazy thing happened, man. Cuomo was undercounting nursing home deaths by, I don't know, like 50% or something. Wow. They really don't math so good over in the Cuomo office, do they? Yeah. Tough to do addition and subtraction. This mattered immensely. And if this were Ron DeSantis, it would be the number one news story. I mean, you know, you remember when during the Bush administration, there was that misconduct in, in uh, Abu Ghraib. And that was on the front page of the newspaper day after day after day after day. And I remember being a, a pretty, pretty young guy at the time and saying, wow, so so this is how you make a story really stick. This is how you really tear down an administration with a story. I mean, George Bush wasn't giving that order, but Abu Ghraib was on the front page of the newspaper of the New York Times, for example, I I, want to say 20 out of 30 days or something like that. It was a long time ago, but it was so much coverage of just saturation, saturation coverage. And they could do the same thing with Cuomo. This is a really big deal. We've had Democrats and we've had the corporate media lecturing us month after month after month about listening to the data, obeying the science, Doing what Fauci tells us and the hero of the pandemic was actually the villain. And we're not supposed to think that this is indicative of broader problems and the way they approach this whole thing in 2020. We're not supposed to make the connection that clearly they were willing to go along with this in part because they knew that Cuomo was a useful weapon against Donald Trump in the election year. That orange man bad who liked hydroxychloroquine as an idea and, you know, wasn't running around quadruple masking that that maybe they were a little bit unfair to the point of sheer dishonesty about Trump in the election year and were willing to prop up people like Cuomo. Here's this this piece, The Wall Street Journal. New York's Andrew Cuomo, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's top advisors successfully pushed state health officials to strip a public health report of data showing that more nursing home residents had died of COVID-19 than the administration had acknowledged. The July report, which examined the factors that led to the spread of the virus in nursing homes, focused only on residents who died inside long-term care facilities, leaving out those who had died in hospitals after becoming sick in nursing homes. As a result, the report said six thousand four hundred and thirty two nursing home residents had died. A significant undercount of the death toll attributed to the state's most vulnerable population, the people said the initial version of the report said nearly ten thousand nursing home residents had died in New York by July late last year. One of the people said, according to those with knowledge of the report, unbelievable. They went from 10,000 to 6,000. That's a pretty big difference, isn't it? Why would they do that? Well, because they knew that that number would really shock people. And they knew that other states that also have senior citizens would be a point of comparison. And what they're now going to be able to do is say, hold on a second. The data was, was fudged here in a way that was meant to prevent accurate comparison how can you know whether your public health officials how can you know whether your governor is doing a good job when they're lying about the very data that they claim is supporting their position and let me tell you this right now this is not the only instance it may be the most egregious but the only instance of fraud through numbers manipulation during this pandemic we will find more of this There are other cases where people either cherry pick numbers, and I'm talking about governors, state health officials, maybe even Fauci himself. They cherry pick data to fit a preferred narrative and suppressed anything that challenged what they wanted the people to believe. If this were if Cuomo were the CEO of a publicly traded company or any company for that matter, if Cuomo were the CEO of a private corporation, this kind of activity Of hiding numbers like this if they were profit numbers for example i mean if you were cooking the books he'd be facing prison time but he cooked the books intentionally on deaths during a pandemic when decisions were being made that were directly affecting and in some cases as we see now causing those deaths and we're supposed to just forget about it no big deal Everybody was doing their best. Cuomo was giving us such great press conferences. His brother over at CNN was doing such funny stuff with him at night. They should have had a duo show. Well, I guess they did. These are the people. These are the voices. These are the platforms out there. All these different Democrat and Cuomo aligned groups and individuals who have been telling you all along to trust them, believe them, and they missed, and they also slowed this down, right? That was another part of it. They were hoping to delay this and they managed to delay it until after the election, which is why now they're willing to finally let this all go. Why why now you're seeing all the sexual harassment stories and, you know, there are people who are uh, who are actually sitting down to do interviews with the accusers. All this is happening because Cuomo's extreme usefulness has passed. You know, you see this with Cuomo. It reminds me of what I believe will happen soon with Joe Biden where eventually the Democrats will no longer be able to prop up Biden who's declining. will figure out this guy really isn't up for this. It'll be apparent. It'll be embarrassing. It'll be sad. And they'll say, oh, yeah, sorry, I guess we missed that. But ha, he beat Trump, didn't he? This is how they play the game. It's the Harry Reid approach to politics. Remember Harry Reid lied about Mitt Romney's tax returns. You know, I'm no Mitt Romney fan. But when asked about this, just complete slander. Harry Reid laughed and said he didn't win, did he? And he was right. This is how Democrats, this is how your corporate media approaches their job. They are on a team. They have picked a side. And in this case of Governor Cuomo, the side they picked was lying about thousands and thousands of deaths and causing. Remember, it's not just that they were embarrassed by the number. I mean, to understand the full scope of this, you have to recognize that Cuomo because of his unthinkably stupid decision to try to clear out hospital space faster by forcing COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes. He caused more of these deaths. You see, it wasn't just this number looks bad for the state of New York. It's Cuomo made a decision, and some of that decision-making or some of that decision's ramifications led to people's moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, Dying in nursing homes, not allowed to see their family members, maybe allowed a last Zoom call. It is awful beyond words. But he was telling you he was giving you lectures. And even if you don't live in New York, he doesn't care. He was America's lecturer in chief during COVID. That's what Cuomo was. He was telling you, if you don't mask up, you might kill somebody. You might cause somebody else's family member, loved one to die. How dare you do exactly what Cuomo says or else? Talk about what psychologists would call projection. This is so far the biggest scandal, although there are many and there's going to be a lot more accountability that we have to force on the lockdowners as we have more data and more of the truth can finally come out. But what Cuomo did was the most appalling uh, decision and the most dishonest aftermath of any Major policy choice of the entire COVID-19 pandemic. And we're finding out about it now. We will not let this go. By the way, I, I've known about this for months. You've known about this for months. It's been reported in the New York Post. Now we just have more and more information. It looks even worse than we thought. The mainstream media is finally touching on this. The mainstream media has finally come around to it because it served its purpose to suppress it when they did. But do not forget this. Cuomo lied seniors died that is what happened the Democrat Party should own this they are responsible for this and the corporate media's credibility is even further sullied if that was even a thing that's possible just how much did the media love the love gov governor Andrew Cuomo the Cuomo sexuals remember that that was a thing for a while people were walking around with t-shirts on such a hero. He's such an eligible bachelor. Oh, gosh, people were batting their eyelashes at Cuomo. He was so amazing. He was keeping us safe. The guy's a thug, a bully and a liar. The worst of politics and also a sexual harasser on top of all of that, which we will also get to. Here he is, according to the media over the course of this pandemic. I really, I really want you to just sit back and, and take all this in. Remember, Cuomo lied seniors died Cuomo made an unthinkably stupid bullying decision, threatened nursing homes, basically, used his pandemic superpower, or ultra you know, authoritarianism his mean, superpower sounds like he's a hero, but he used the authoritarian emergency powers there we go, that he had, and then lied about it when it was a disaster afterwards. And then tried to shame everybody else who wouldn't keep listening to him. This is what your the guardians of our republic, right? The fourth estate. This is what they were saying about all of it. Play two.
2: Sending by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. Uh, David, we're sending by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity.
0: Governor Cuomo, um, out there day after day after day, everything Trump isn't, honest, direct, brave.
3: Real leadership of the kind the president of the United States should
2: have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality. The actual one? than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength.
0: You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you were sending soldiers off to war.
4: This has
2: been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, no. I think, is, is is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. With
3: all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about
1: running for president? Andrew Cuomo, who has a daily television show now uh, and has become, in some ways, the shadow uh, president.
5: Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has
2: become a kind of acting president. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home.
1: <laughs> Brian Stalter that guy is oh my god it's like the equivalent of pouring estrogen in your ear or something I mean this guy is it's unbelievable uh, I gotta tell you that that, that to me I, I listen to this and I, I just I, I i just shiver it's just so gross the whole thing is so obtuse and absurd what what was going through their mind oh well we know notice how many clips we can pull of them saying unlike Trump Cuomo's great unlike Trump Cuomo speaks the truth that's they're just their brains were fixated on this fixated on this you know an honest assessment of Trump during the pandemic would start with he basically did everything Fauci told him to when I spoke to the president in May in the Oval Office the one thing he actually shook my hand and promised the one thing that I asked him I said sir please don't allow for there to be a a federal push a national push for an across the board lockdown let's not and he said I I totally agree I get it he had been listening to Fauci a lot up to that point he'd been listening to Fauci and we've all seen what the results are remember this is going to be treated like it's an objective discussion about the data and what's best for the country But really, as you see from the teachers' unions, this is about what is best for different individuals, their power, their money. They don't want honesty about what's happened during this pandemic. They certainly don't want accountability for people that were propping up liars, frauds, and thugs like Andrew Cuomo. I mean, The fact that this guy, I would put money on it right now, is going to finish his term as governor. He will not resign, and they will not impeach him. Just shows you how morally decrepit the Democrat Party in the state of New York and across the country is. They're going to let this guy stay. If he stays, who goes? And let's just remember this. They're not going to impeach. Democrats will not impeach Governor Cuomo, but they impeached Trump twice. The first time, and I know this was in Congress, but the first time over a phone call to the Ukrainian president where nothing happened, Cuomo sent seniors to die in nursing homes like a moron because he thought he was so smart and he was drunk with power and then he lied about it to everybody. If that doesn't make you resign, what does? Governor Cuomo said that he has never propositioned
3: anybody. Do you believe that he was propositioning you?
6: Yes. For what? Sex. And then he explains at that point that he is looking for a girlfriend. He's lonely he's
3: tired you've just finished dictation and the governor is telling you he's
1: lonely and looking for a relationship
3: yes you have been quoted as saying that he also asked you about if you'd ever been with an older man yeah he
6: asked me if age difference mattered he also
4: explained that he was fine with anyone over 22 and how old are you 25 What were you thinking as
2: he's
5: asking you these questions? I thought he's trying to sleep with me. The governor is trying to sleep with me and I'm deeply uncomfortable and I have to get out of this room as soon as possible. And to be clear, what made you think that he was trying to sleep with you?
6: Without explicitly saying it, he implied to me that I was old enough for him and he was lonely.
1: He was trying to sleep with her. Can can we all just state the obvious here together? I mean, that's many of us have been in the workplace and had conversations and, you know, maybe, you know, shared some of our personal life with friends or colleagues or whatever. But we also know when you're the governor of New York and you have a 25 year old attractive female who's alone with you and you're talking about the the age at which you're willing to have a sexual relationship and your need for a sexual like. Uh, short of drawing a map or, like, producing some kind of a contract with his expectations and her expectations, like, this is pretty clear. It's entirely credible. All these women who have come forward, these are credible allegations. You know, we could go back to the Kavanaugh era, remember? And they kept saying, credible allegations against Kavanaugh. And, and I was completely losing my mind over this. I mean, I was, I, was fr- I was furious. I mean, this is what I said. A lot of us became wartime conservatives during Kavanaugh because we saw that there was honestly no, there was no floor, there was no basement of moral depravity. The Democrats, including Kamala Harris, by the way, leading the charge there in the Senate, don't ever forget that, that there was no low the Democrats would not go to to destroy somebody for politics, that they would lie uh, just in the most, it was just the most mendacious disgusting idiotic obviously untrue garbage about brett kavanaugh it was and, and any person who doesn't see that it's just not very smart it's not possible to look at all the not possible to look at the three accusers including the third accuser who's like giggling and talking about gang rape that she saw when she came back from college i mean the whole the whole thing or julie swetnick was her name the whole thing was so absurd avenatti avenatti is it's isn't it amazing to see he was the hero of CNN at the time don't you see a pattern here when you were useful against Trump if you were a weapon against Donald Trump you were given this this cloak of invincibility and, and the elevation you were treated like a conquering hero it didn't matter how disgusting you were Michael Avenatti is the ultimate slimy lawyer he makes Michael Cohen Trump's good friend for a while, unfortunately, makes Michael Cohen look like an ethical counsel. Avenatti was was stealing millions from a paralyzed client. That guy was on TV. He was on CNN, I think, more than any other guest over a period of two months. It was as though he was he was paid to anchor a show. He was on all the time. And he went forward with obvious lies about Brett Kavanaugh. But I I digress you know that that whole thing gets me so fired up and i'll never forget i had people um, i had a cnn anchor reach out to me directly and say you've got to stop what you're saying about kavanaugh you're going to destroy your career and people on our side who think you're smart but don't agree with you will never take you seriously again and i i restrained myself from actually writing you know go fauci yourself but i thought about it uh, I did tell them to, you know, leave like, don't ever reach out to me again and you're out of your mind. I think something like that was what I wrote. And uh, yeah, we have not had any contact since. Uh, but that's that was the mentality. It was all hands on deck to destroy an innocent man because it was necessary. They thought that was moral. You see, that's the problem with the left. They believe that morality is entirely situational and that there's no universal truth. There's no natural law. It's just whatever they need when they need it. That's a central principle of the left. That's if they have a principle, the principle is there's no such thing as a principle. But they kept saying, I'll bring this back to Cuomo. They kept talking about the need uh, or they kept talking about the credibility of the allegations against Kavanaugh. And they they figured if they repeated it enough, well, keeps getting called credible. It must be. It would be difficult to come up with a less credible allegation. Than the one that, yes, even, um, uh, you know, the, the professor who leveled or, you know, the uh, psychologist who leveled against Kavanaugh, um, she couldn't prove uh, she couldn't prove that she ever even met him. Christine Blasey Ford couldn't prove that she even ever met him, had no details, no corroboration, no nothing and had lied about things like she was afraid to fly. Unless she's going to Cabo, then flying is fine, right? I mean, she, the whole thing was such a scam, such a fraud. If that's a credible allegation, me saying that I assassinated Abraham Lincoln's a credible allegation. I'm sorry. Do you? Can you prove that I don't have a time machine? Do you know that for a fact? You don't know me. I might have a time machine. You don't know, right? That's the level of credibility we're talking about with the allegations against Kavanaugh. Absurdity. But these allegations against Cuomo. Everything lines up. Everything is exactly there's a pattern, the same kind of pattern. Everyone knows. And there were whispers about it before, too. Word always gets out a little bit about these things, right? Word always comes out. and, And nobody was really surprised by this. That's what's so amazing. The Democrats protected him as long as they could. They propped this jerk up as long as it was feasible for them and as long as it was advantageous. That's the that's the big difference. As long as it was an advantage for them, they propped this guy up. And here we are. Here we are. I've got to tell you, the fact that he's not going to resign is, is so troubling. But also, in another sense, he's an excellent reminder of how how corrupt Democrats are with all of these things and how two-faced they are and how it's all just about power for them. You know, me Me too things, right? I mean, first of all, let's not forget Joe Biden was credibly accused of sexual assault by a woman who knew him, who worked with him, who was around him. You know, remember when it was, what what does she have to gain? Uh, Accusing a Democrat who's going to be president of sexual assault, uh, you really got nothing to gain because your life is going to be ruined. You never even hear about that anymore, do you? Creepy Joe sniffing women's heads, grabbing them, touching them, saying weird to He, I have never met a stranger and held her head from behind and kissed her head and sniffed her hair. That is a weirdo move. Joe Biden did that. That's a matter of record. That's not even a, That's not even an allegation. He apologized for that, but not not an issue. Just same no, nothing about Joe Biden. It doesn't matter. See, one of the things about Trump was that he was blowing out into the open. The truth that we had known about the Democrats for so long when he would say things like, you know, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and, and, you know, my supporters would stay with me. And the Democrats all lost their minds about that. A lot of Trump supporters said, look, he's obviously exaggerating a little bit or he's, you know, he's he's trying to make a point. It's hyperbole. But that has always been true about Democrats. Bill Clinton going down the whole list. It's always been true that they can do whatever they want as long as they're useful for the power of the people on the Democrat side. And the same thing is very much true of Cuomo. We're seeing this play out in real time. Very, uh, I was going to say it's discouraging, but that's not even really true. This is who the Democrats are. There's no surprise here. None of you are sitting around saying, wait a second, they're really unethical. They'll lie about Kavanaugh and then they'll defend uh, Kavanaugh, who's clearly innocent, and and then defend Cuomo until they can't, they just, they couldn't hold it back anymore. It's like Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein was a big friend of the Obamas. He was a big donor to the Democrats. You, know, you see, and then eventually they're like, oh, there's too many allegations. Too much stuff comes out. So then they, you know, like, like an old horse getting sent to the glue factory. That's what they do with Weinstein, with Cuomo. You know, sorry, you're more useful now for us to do some virtue signaling and, and pretend like we're an honest press. They, they don't take these people down when it matters. They don't take them down when they're actually. Going to politically lose as a result of it, you get on the whole list. Everybody knew Charlie Rose with the uh, the crusty claw. I love that line. That was uh, the crusty claw, Arr, matey. Uh, you know, Charlie Rose was grabbing. I I heard about Charlie Rose being an old creepster. Um, I, I mean, like twenty years ago when I was working at CBS Evening News, everyone's always known that guy was an old creepster. You get on this list, all all these prominent Democrats that it took so long and then finally and then they want applause because the media finally covers the story. No, when they were powerful, when they were uh, necessary to carry the message for the left, they were protected. And the same thing's true of Cuomo here. But you listen to these young women. Look, we also all know we sit there and you see these women talking about this and you go, yeah, they're telling the truth. You know, we we, we can actually make these. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes it's kind of hard. Sometimes it feels like he said, she said. No, this is she said, and she's telling the truth. And she said, and she said, because there are a handful of them. They're telling the truth. Do the Democrats really care? What's fascinating, of course, is they actually do care about the sexual harassment more than they do the order to send seniors into nursing homes, which undoubtedly put more of them at risk and killed more seniors than would have otherwise died. They care more about un- Uncouth, inappropriate comments said to women. He he didn't, you know, he didn't sexually assault anybody. I mean, there are there are some things Cuomo did not do, but I mean, he clearly uh, likes young women and tries to use his power as a means of getting them into bed with him. And now it's come out, and that is what the media is uh, hoisting him up and and just and destroying him over. That's what they're hoisting him up over, not the the seniors in the nursing homes, because that goes after much more than just one man being a lecherous old fool. That goes to something else. Goes to the way the media lied about covid in so many ways to defeat Donald Trump in 2020.
0: The
2: only way I know how to improve it is with a shredder. It's not even a coronavirus bill. Calling this a coronavirus bill is like calling um Harvey Weinstein, a feminist, it's chock full of spending porn. Billions of dollars to states and local governments that have, have seen the revenues go up. Billions of dollars to yep. pension programs, billions of dollars to schools with no requirement that they open. Um, it's it's a, it's an orgy of pork,
1: an orgy of pork. The senator, uh, Senator Kennedy says here. It's like calling Harvey Weinstein a feminist. Uh, Kennedy Kennedy's definitely writing out his lines beforehand. That's for sure. Uh, and also that I was reminded of this because I mentioned Harvey Weinstein before in the context of incredibly powerful, wealthy, influential Democrats who they cover for as long as they can. And then they want applause when the person is no longer useful to their cause and they you know, throw them to the wolves. Uh, this coronavirus bill that is I mean, it's not a covid bill. It's just a Democrat spending bill and and we, we should come up with a better name for it. One thing that one thing where Republicans, I think, continuous uh, continue to fall down on or or uh, a major shortcoming they have is we need catchy phrases for things, too. This is politics. We need shorthand. We need slogans. You know, we need better ways of referring to some of these things, because the second you call this a covid relief bill, you're basically playing their game. The moment you concede with that word that 1.9 trillion dollars sounds like it's going toward helping people who have been so affected by covid but 9% of the actual bill does so 9% i mean if it were like 60 or 70% i'd say ah oh, you know it's politics they're going to put some other stuff in there it's basically all not covid stuff in fact there's a a whole there's there's provisions about you know additional spending for education and most of it doesn't even happen next year. It's built in. It's layered in over years and years. Tens of billions of dollars. Oh, you mean the teachers unions want their payoffs and they want their prerogatives? And it really has nothing to do with their safety. They're so scared. Yeah, that's what I thought. Not a surprise. Uh, the pretense of a Biden administration and of a Democrat majority Congress acting and even the most the most basic bipartisan fashion. I mean, that didn't last a day, did it? When Biden came into office and his attitude, or I should say the handlers around him and the special interests and the people that are telling him what to do, the attitude was, we won, you lost, go jump in a lake, you know? Go blankety-blanking, your blank. And we've seen nothing but that since then. And this is, I, I think, in part a a, a hangover of the way that Donald Trump psychologically broke the left and they haven't put themselves back together. I mean, you know, Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and men can't put the Democrats' fragile emotions back together again. I mean, they're having a tough time here because Donald Trump came into office and made fun of them for four years for being a bunch of shrill lib lunatics. And now they want payback against, against everybody else. There's real anger out there. But, you know, Ted Cruz notices that uh, they're not even pretending to be reaching the other side and you look at the way that republicans passed real covid bills with democrat votes last year it's actually possible folks that's not a that's not some theoretical democrats are going to pass this probably without a single republican vote in the senate and you know who knows how the house is going to go play 10.
0: we're getting ready to go through an unfortunate bit of political theater And the reason for that is that the Democrats have made the decision to be hard partisans rather than to work together in a bipartisan manner. Last year, Congress passed five separate COVID relief bills. Every one of them was bipartisan. So it's not just empty words. Republicans here have demonstrated that we are ready and willing to roll up our sleeves and work together in a bipartisan manner to address COVID, to defeat this pandemic and to get people back to work. Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi could have done the same. But they made a decision instead. This is not a covid bill. Nine percent of this bill focuses on covid health spending. Ninety one percent is a partisan wish list paying off the Democratic special interests that got them elected. And it's cynical. It's got Chuck Schumer's bridge to Canada. The last I checked, a bridge to Canada is not going to defeat covid.
1: It is not. Sorry, Canada, that's. Not the way it's going to work. But Republicans did bipartisan things to help the country during COVID. Democrats won't do that now. Why?
4: What we are doing is building the capacity to address the needs of those children and we are guided by uh, uh, some core principles. Number one, we act in the best interest of the children and we act in the best interest of the American people. And thirdly, we adhere to our values and principles as a country. And so in fact the numbers are significant, the challenge is significant and our plans are well underway as we build the capacity to address the needs of the children, and we are rebuilding from scratch.
1: Oh, it's all about the children. What's Buck's Law of Politics for Democrats? The moment they tell you it's about the children, you're being lied to. Okay, just remember that. It's always true. The moment they say, it's for the children. The moment Nancy Pelosi comes out, you know, with her Chanel scarf loosely draped around her mouth because she cares so much about COVID and goes, the children need, you know, I we're going to get get them the things that they need. Yeah, that's because they've got something else going on. Why do we have a what is what is he saying now? Uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas, a significant challenge at the border. Why, why do we have this? Because of the Biden administration. That's why we have a huge spike in people coming to the border. They are literally wearing Biden T-shirts, OK? Can we make this any more clear? Illegal immigrants are showing up. And wearing T-shirts that say Biden let us in at the border. I think we know why they're showing up. And Democrats are already, uh, I mean, House Democrats are already pushing uh, bills, uh, tr- trying to get bills ready to go for mass amnesty. I said I've said this all along. I, you know, Policy, I'm good at predicting elections. I don't think anybody can really predict elections, but policy I can usually sh- uh, see coming. But we're going to have to have a whole reckoning here as a country about what's going on with our immigration policy right now, because it this is about to be the, the central fight. And really what you're going to start to you're going to start to see is that they want open borders because sovereignty is for suckers. Sovereignty, a nation that can control its borders, that requires effort. You know, what's much better. Create incentives for people to come and give them even more incentives when they stay to vote for one political party. And you effectively create a a voter base of anybody from anywhere around the world who feels like coming to America and availing themselves of all of the benefits of being here illegally, right? They're supposed to have a process for all of this. I mean, as Milton Friedman said, it is one thing to have free immigration to jobs. It's another thing to have free immigration to welfare. And you cannot have both. You can have a welfare state. Or you can have open immigration for jobs. You have both. You've got a big problem. Do you think we have a bit of a welfare state in this country? Is it fair to say? But this has been a long time in coming. As you know, the dominant liberal media narrative on immigration has been a series of shifting lies for about the last 40 years. In the Trump era, the main leftist argument on immigration shifted into outright moral blackmail from the left. This is what this is how it would always go. You know this. If you ever try to talk to somebody about immigration policy, this is how it, uh, it happens. Do you have a problem with a million illegal arrivals from uh, Central America? You must be racist, they say to you. If you ask any questions about who will pay for these new illegal arrivals in terms of the benefits and welfare, that's a racist question to ask. If you wonder how Social Security and Medicare will remain viable programs when millions of illegal aliens will need similar benefits when they reach retirement age, it's racist to even consider such things. That's what it's just always about how it's always racist and xenophobic. You're not allowed to ask any questions based on, oh, I don't know, the simple math of how are we going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for this? How's this all going to go? That's more or less the extent of the intellectual discourse you can expect from leftists on the issue of illegal immigration. Because they much prefer to engage in ad hominem attacks against anybody who has a problem uh, with open borders. It's So much easier. As you know, illegal alien is a term that appears in the federal legal code many times. Leftists now say that it is hateful. And they're actually in the process of changing this. They might have already changed it by the time I talk to you in the federal code. It's hateful to say words that are written in federal law when it comes to immigration. But they were they used to insist on a legal immigrant, but they disliked the fact that there was illegal in there. So if you're going to call something illegal, you're kind of admitting it's against the law. That's a problem. So then they moved on to the more Orwellian term undocumented, which is absurdly vague and inaccurate. They have documents somewhere. They're not undocumented. They just don't have documents that say you're legally allowed to be in the United States. Calling an illegal alien undocumented is like calling a trespasser a pre-invite guest. Now, keep in mind, this phraseology fight is coming to us after decades of brainwashing the American people with platitudes meant to conflate legal and illegal immigration to mislead citizens about the cost of illegals and pretend the problem was less massive all along than in reality it is. Loaded misleading claims like America is a nation of immigrants and immigrants do the jobs Americans won't do have become second nature for many American commentators in particular news anchors policy analysts they say these things as though they are written in the Constitution itself I mean CNN actually seems to believe that Emma Lazarus's great Colossus poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty is the foundation of federal immigration law you know the poem for anybody who doesn't know this just so you're clear that poem was for a fundraiser. The plaque is there for tourists. OK, that's where the great Colossus bone, you know, said, give me you're tired, you're hungry your know, I, I don't remember all the poem, but you get it. Historically, Ellis Island was actually a place where immigrants could be re- uh, rejected on the spot after a week's long transatlantic journey. You got about two percent of all new immigrants at Ellis Island were for medical or mental health reasons told to go back on the boat and go home. So people were were turned away, even at Ellis Island. Not a lot, but there were people turned away. The left's rewriting of immigration history isn't simply an academic matter. It's been used to create narratives that support illegal immigration at the expense of rule of law and sovereignty. So that's now what it's at the point where we have to see what's going to come next, what's going to happen. We are at the extremes now. We are at the phase where we would have to think about what becomes of this country when there's another mass legalization. Remember, we had a mass legalization under Ronald Reagan in 1986 and they said it would only be whatever it was a couple million. And then there was going to be very secure border and no more illegal immigration. We got the amnesty and then we got millions and millions more illegal immigrants in the country. And, you know, if all of this is fine, if it means if it, Is meaningless as the left now pretends. Why do we even pretend there's a a thing called assimilation? Why have immigration laws at all? If immigration, including illegal immigration, if illegal immigration is only good, if it is only upside, and there are some radical libertarian think tank types who will always say that, right? Oh, the more we, if we could take a, if we could take five hundred million people from China to the United States tomorrow, it would make us wealthier. That's what they'll tell you. It'll be a better country then. To which I say, okay. If 500 million Chinese arrived in America tomorrow, which I know that's not going to happen, but we're just as a thought experiment, would it still be America? It's still the same country. Don't we have cultures, norms, mores, shared history, tradition? Doesn't all that come from being here and being an American and that we have an assimilation process for people to become American over time? But, you know, when you show up here illegally and, you know, the first day you step on U.S. soil, you're not an American. You're not by law and you're not by any other definition. So how do we actually view this as a society? These are the conversations we have to have. And then, of course, there's the, the question of the official count. As of 2017, they were saying, and it's just true now, too. I mean, I just have the 2017 number in front of me, but they'll say about 11.7 million illegal illegal aliens in the United States. But that figure is an estimate based on voluntary census data. That's right. It's all census data they're using. Uh, the real number of illegal aliens is probably much much higher, right? There were those math nerds at Yale, and I say math nerds with reverence. Just a couple of years ago, they did a PhD project, and they looked at all the available data. And these are, you know, these are math whizzes, and they estimated the number of illegal aliens was more like 20 million, which is close to uh, double the official figure. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable when you see that we're told. The number has stayed constant. Illegal aliens it has stayed constant for like the last 10 or 15 years. Net migration, zero. You hear all these things. Meanwhile, when I've been down at the border and talked to Border Patrol, and, uh, members of Border Patrol, you know what they say? Uh, that's ridiculous. We're catching illegals crossing over all the time. And illegals aren't in large numbers going back to where they came from, especially if they come from Pakistan or China or the Philippines or wherever. They're not they're not coming. They're not going back to their home countries. Once they get here, they stay. But we can't even we cannot have an honest discussion about immigration in this country. And again, see even just the notion of of immigration. I'm talking about illegal immigration. We can't have an honest discussion about it because that would mean the left won't get its way quite as easily. But do you see how they're ramming through this spending bill in the Congress? See how their plans now are to just continue doing exactly what they want. doesn't matter what the Republicans think. That's the plan for amnesty, too. That's how they're going to ram through amnesty.
5: I mean, they're they're shameful. We know that the Republican Party does not have ideas. uh, And so they know if they don't have a policy they can run on and get the ability to convince people to vote for them, they're going to limit the amount of people that can vote uh, so that they can continue to uh, have the ability to get elected. We believe that the more people that have the ability to vote uh, and participate in our democracy is what makes our democracy work. Uh, and we're going to continue to fight them on local levels, um, but we're also going to do something federally. And that's what we did last night. We passed as the People's Act, HR1, which is our pro-democracy legislation that creates uh, more accountability and transparent uh, democ- democracy, uh, and it, this is you know a sweeping legislation uh, that creates automatic voter registration that gets rid of partisan gerrymandering that um, allows for there to be early voting processes that gets, you know, certain interests uh, and dirty money out of our politics and allows for more people to believe in our democracy and know that, you know, it's supposed to be of the people for the people.
1: H.R. 1, other than amnesty, is the most important policy that the Democrats are trying to to ram through in America right now. OK, this is enormously consequential. And our conservative media is not focused enough on this. You know, I really I really think that conservative media is, uh, you know, still a little bit of licking our wounds here after what happened in the election. I, I think people are feeling a little bit and, and I get it feeling a little bit uh, on their back feet but we got, we got no time for that. We got to mount up. We got to get ready and get serious here because Democrats notice right from the get-go left-wing ideologue stuff right away. Not, you know, let's take care, let's fix the country and make everything a little bit better and then we can, then we can get back to fighting over, you know, magazine bans and firearms and things like that. The usual stuff, right? The stuff that Democrats will never let go. Uh, can we at least get, normalcy back in our society. Couldn't that be the focus? Get out of COVID, get past COVID? No, the focus is to use the crisis for their own political benefit right away. And that's where H.R. 1 comes in. The, my friends, these are the kind of things that will prevent a, a a Republican from winning elections for the next 20 years and will change the Republican Party in the process as well to make it even wimpier and less conservative. These are structural, long-term changes. These are not minor things. And the Democrats know with H.R. I've already been telling you about Amnesty. They know with H.R. 1 that this would be an enormously consequential bill for them. So much so that, you know, you got just yesterday the San Francisco Chronicle uh, writing that the filibuster is a small sacrifice for H.R. 1, the future of democracy. You're gonna know what Democrats really want by where they actually finally decide in this 50-50 Senate we've got. When they finally decide the filibuster is gone, that's when you know they've really they're really uh, going for it. And they may do it on H. I don't think they will on H.R. One. You know, there's a lot of variables here, but they may do it on H.R. One. And it's because here's what House to to make it very very uh, straightforward. What House Resolution One does. Is all the stuff the Democrats did to outmaneuver the Trump campaign with bad faith changes in the COVID year to the way the election was going to be held, right? The mass mail in ballots, the lack of verification, the change, you know, the expanding voting everywhere they could, adding additional days for votes to be gathered after Election Day, all these things they did. HR 1 would make all of that stuff the way the law is, period, right? H.R. 1 would would try to do everything in its power to make the, uh, the 2020 election changes the way that all elections are done. Now, obviously, the states play a large role in this, too. But, I mean, he, he, here's what, uh, you know, he, here's where, for example, ballot harvesting comes in and voter verification and those... Those kinds of important election safeguards. I mean, ballot harvesting is just a, a recipe for disaster. And I also think at some point you do need. To, there needs to be a process. The same way we have an immigration process for a reason, there needs to be a voting process for a reason. Here's what the here's the, the Wall Street Journal recently on this. Uh, just a couple of days ago. If you thought the 2020 election ran like a finely oiled machine, you'll love what Democrats plan next. The Senate and House reserved their first bills, H.R. 1 and S. 1, for voting changes that would make mail balloting in a plague year seem buttoned up. We've gone through some details, but it's worth looking as the House prepares to vote this week. Advocates present the legislation as a good government reform that won't favor either party. But H.R. 1 is packed with provisions that would federalize election rules to dubious result. Unsettled longstanding election practices and security measures that local officials think prudent undermine public confidence and increase the odds of contested outcomes. Start with permanent pandemic rules. H.R. 1 would create a federal right to a mail ballot. No excuse necessary. Registered voters couldn't be made to submit any form of identification as a condition of obtaining an absentee ballot except a signature or affirmation. State laws requiring mail-in votes to be notarized or signed by witnesses would be trumped, no pun intended. Late arriving ballots, if postmarked on time, would be valid nationwide for 10 days after election day. In other words, the bill would entrench last year's emergency experiment, further turning election day into election quarter. H.R. 1 would give Americans endless opportunities to relive the fund in New York's 22nd congressional district, which didn't have a victor for 97 days. Out of Pennsylvania's 10,097 late arriving ballots last year, an alarming 6.6% did not have legible postmarks. A state Senate seat outside Pittsburgh turned on whether or not to count mail ballots that voters neglected to date. One county tallied them, the next county did not. What if the White House were in the balance? Chaos. Anarchy, no guardrails, no safeguards. That's how Democrats want elections to be always if they can get away with it going forward. That's the plan.
4: When I travel around the state, there are people who just don't wear a mask and there's no sanction to them, even though there was a mandate or at least it is through uh, next Wednesday. But there were no sanctions. People made their decisions on their own. And I travel in many places where everyone has a mask. We're not saying don't do it. In fact, at the Capitol, we're saying we strongly suggest you wear a mask. I Mm -hmm. wear a mask when I'm around people out of respect to them if they want me to. Uh, We're saying to people still social distance. We're just not taking away the freedom and liberty in Texas from people that they are doing in Democrat states, and Joe Biden wants to do. But again, Harris, I go back to the president. Uh, how dare him attack Texas for our policies when he is allowing the border to be overrun by people coming in here by the hundreds, by the thousands, and testing positive, and coming on a bus to your state, wherever you happen to live in the United States of America? What a hypocrite. And yeah.
1: yeah, so the Biden administration is allowing the importation of illegal aliens with COVID-19 While they're lecturing everybody about masks and social distancing still, Texas and Mississippi caught so much heat for this. And I've got to say, I feel like Governor Abbott, they did a little bit of a walk back here with this whole thing. And and now when you see what different cities are saying in the state of Texas, it's not quite as free as it should be. I mean, I know we've got a lot of folks listening in KLBJ Austin, big audience there. Thank you all so much, by the way, for being a part of Team Buck in the Austin area. I really do appreciate you guys and gals. Um, but I know that you, if you write in, you're going to tell me we still have you know mask mandates in all the businesses and restaurants and everything. So it, Texas, it seemed like mostly theatrics that at the state level, they no longer have a mask mandate. And, and I do think there's there's a fair point to be made. And I talked to my friend Jesse Kelly about this yesterday, uh, who's down in Houston, that the mask mandate never should have been there in the first place at the state level. So I'm just I get so excited at the notion of the break in the authoritarianism or, or at least a crack in the authoritarianism. Damn, I get so excited that, you know, I, I'm willing I'm willing to accept far from uh, perfect policy and and don't always focus on how bad things have been in some places up to this point. You know, I think the leadership in the state of Texas has been very disappointing on covid and obviously they're looking to. Uh, get attention away from the awful ice storm situation, the power out, uh, power outage and everything else that happened there. Uh, But you'll notice that the media was immediately jumping all over and not just the media, the Biden administration jumping all over Texas and Mississippi for, you know, they, they don't believe in the science. That's what we were all being told. They, They don't believe in the science and Guess what state just also said that they're they're reopening or scaling back, going to a hundred percent for businesses and even opening sports venues, fifty percent outdoors, ten percent indoors for sports arenas. Uh, the state of Connecticut. And I haven't seen anybody like Biden calling you know Connecticut a Neanderthal state. So why why is was it okay to go after Mississippi? And Texas in that. Well, we all know because the association in the mind of the of the parties and of the press is that that those are red states, even though Texas is getting uncomfortably close to to purple, friends, Texas is uh, is not trending in the right direction. But that's a conversation for another time. Uh, In the case of Connecticut, though, it is a deep blue state and it is a state that has had a, a high degree of covid mortality which is something that I also think we, we need to focus on. I, I think we need to be very clear about the fact that the blue states, I remember early on in the pandemic, there were a lot of smug blue check liberals on social media who were saying the red states are going to have all this COVID. and The blue states listen to the science. And well, it turned out the, the worst states for COVID-19, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, those are the worst states. Connecticut's high. I think Connecticut's in the top in the top ten. But those are the worst states for COVID-19. And I think it's important that everybody understand that that was completely contrary to what we were initially being told, that the red states that don't wear their masks, they were going to be the ones that suffered so badly. Anyway, Connecticut is moving in the right direction. And you know, I always tell you I call I call balls and strikes, I call it like I see it. Anything that is pushing in the direction of reopening is better than the alternative. So I'm always going to be favorable toward decisions about reopen at this phase, because that's where we should all, that's where we should be. Um, But I I also understand, uh, I'm also clear on the fact that some of these places, it's not just about when they're reopening. It's about when do we get to have a real conversation about the bad decision making here and the, the poor decision making of elected officials about lockdown in the first place. I'll, I will tell you this. I was just thinking about this yesterday. I so appreciate the people uh, who listen to this show, who are writing in from all over the country, and were really supporting me. It was not easy to be a lockdown skeptic in the last year. Yeah, I had a lot of people on the right, even. I had a lot of people who are Republicans, who would write in, sometimes saying, people who even knew me would say, kind of nasty or really nasty stuff. You know, can't you read? Why don't you believe science? Things like this all the time. And, and it's because I was offending their religion. This became a religion. It was a a philosophy of meaning and a philosophy of personal excellence that really was very divorced from actual science and data. And so I, I appreciate those you listening to the show, one that you continue to obviously to listen when I'm talking about this stuff, because I know sometimes there were other issues. you know, I think that the conservative media was so busy sometimes. Just, just chasing around every aspect of the Trump train. That we let the narrative around COVID be dominated by the Democrats. And by the way, that's how they beat Trump. That's that was a part of it. COVID was the secret sauce to Joe Biden getting elected. That's how this actually went 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 down. But you know, there was a lot of chasing Trump tweets around, and you know, a lot of focus on you know Hunter Biden and all. I always told you the Hunter Biden stuff. The, the, the biggest story around Hunter Biden was really the fact that they suppressed the Hunter Biden story. The social media companies did and obviously all the other media companies, news media. But I knew that wasn't going to cost Joe Biden the election. I knew that that was something that got the conservative base fired up because it shows what a fraud and I get it, what a hack Joe Biden is. But it, I knew it wasn't going to be enough. The fight was about covid and I kept talking to you about it and about masks and about where this all was. And and I appreciate all the support that people were writing in throughout the year that you gave me on this, because it, it wasn't it wasn't easy, it wasn't easy. There were not a lot of people on the right who were really adept at making the case and about holding the line when there was overwhelming pressure to just to just start double masking or, 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 or to just do all these things that we've been told all along, uh, some of which are useful to a degree and some of which are just completely uh, useless. Others are, are, you know, they're overstated in use. I mean, there's so much nuance here and so much complexity in the how to respond to COVID argument, but it all got boiled down to listen to St. Fauci. Anyway, some of us have seen what the truth is here, and and, and I appreciate it. Look, I'm very proud of what this show said about COVID for the last 12 months, and I put our record up against anybody for seeing things as they are, for seeing what's coming and for refusing to bend the knee to the, you know, mask up peasant outrage mob. Sorry, folks, I just didn't not to you, but to those people didn't didn't feel like allowing them to get away with their authoritarianism, with their petty tyranny without at least some objection. So I'm very proud of what we've done the last 12 months on that topic, honestly, more than any other. And there have not been a lot of people out there who have been really willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with me on this stuff in public because people like, you know, this is a, a true of even concerns in the media. They really like their uh, their peer group to think they're smart. They want they're OK with being disagreed with, but they, they want other people in in commentary and journalism and whatever to think that they're at least they're smart. And that became a big peer pressure issue uh, with lockdowns and masking. Anyway, Rand, Rand Paul, among those who have been willing to speak the truth on this issue all along, Rand Paul has been one of my favorites. I, I think Rand Paul is is a really uh, excellent voice in American politics. I agree with him you know, over 90% of the time, I think, on policy matters. And I know he's not a great retail politician, and he's just a little, he's a little smarmy. It's just the way he is. But I, I also believe that he's he's underrated for uh, for his decision making. I, I think he has very good judgment on a whole range of issues and he's been so strong on covid and lockdown. So the senator from Kentucky, here he is. Play clip one.
2: The scientific evidence has been overwhelming, not only now, but for months. The kids should be back in school. Even the most cautious of government experts is saying they should go back to school. Around the world, kids have been in-person learning for nine, ten months, sometimes some of them never interrupted in-person schooling without surges or without outbreaks. In my state, uh, three different Christian schools, Louisville Christian Academy, Calvary Christian Academy in Covington, and uh, Rose Hill Christian Academy in Ashland have been in continuous school in person since last summer without significant outbreaks. The evidence is there but maybe we need something even more to get people back in school. And the one thing I know that works is competition. So I've introduced today a bill called the School Act. The School Act says if you have title ones that follow a poor child, they should follow the poor child wherever they wanna go. If there's a school that will not open and will not teach them, the poor child can go to a private school, religious school, wherever they wanna go, wherever they think their parents think it would be a better education, the child can take those funds and go there. I'm guessing when kids start flowing to other places, the schools will decide to open up. But right now, we don't have enough in-person learning in Kentucky, and I'm going to do everything I can to get the schools open.
1: He frames this the right way. It's not that schools shouldn't stay closed. That's not nearly far enough. Schools never should have been closed. That's what all the actual evidence points to, despite... You know, the politic, politic fact or whatever fact check of me recently where they're all coming out. Those people are morons, by the way, absolute morons. But they've acquired some real power to silence voices because they've they've uh, presented themselves falsely to social media companies. They've they've colluded with social media giants like Facebook to say, you know, that they are the arbiters of truth. I mean, it's it's bizarre. It's absurd. But that's what they do. That, that's why when I say school should be open, they say partly False. That's, that's right. I got an official partly false rating on that when I wrote on bucksexton.com where we're putting up great pieces. If you haven't read my uh, Texas reopen and, you know, go Fauci yourself lockdowners piece for, at bucksexton.com, it's still up. Please go check it out. And we also have a, a a button to listen to the podcast at the top of that page. So such an easy way. If you're ever like, where do I go? I'm not really a podcast person. Well, I'm sure you're a website person, right? We all are. Go to bucksexton.com, press play at the top of the page. So easy. And, you know, I mean, I've, I'm so happy with the way that more people listen to this podcast, the more people listen to this podcast. That's the way it goes. Or, you know, this is a radio show, but we have a podcast of the radio show. And you can go to com, press play at the top of the of the page. It's very, very easy. And this is why uh, our podcast has uh, tripled in size uh, two and a half times in the last 12 months. Also, while this pandemic has been going on, because I think that we've been seeing this more clearly than other people, including other people in the, in the conservative commentary space. You know, a lot lot of people that were kind of hedging their bets on some of this stuff in a way that I thought was kind of was pretty weak. Uh, We've been we've been keeping it real during covid in the Freedom Hut. That's for sure.
4: We are already on track to bounce back from this crisis. That's not because of this bill. It's because of our work last year. It's the trend this new Democratic government inherited. We're going to come roaring back and mostly not because of this bill. In fact, in some ways, in spite of this bill. Yeah.
1: That's that's an important concept. I, look, I know a lot of you have problems with Mitch McConnell. I, I have problems with what he does sometimes too, but he is a, a an astute political observer at times. And this this is the the real story of America's comeback from COVID. Is that if Democrats would just not make things worse, things would get so much better. If Democrats would just improve things, you know. Sorry, if Democrats would just. Not ruin things. Forget about trying to make things a lot better. If they would just stand aside and let the American people get back to work and do what they need to do, we'd be we'd all be in really good shape. I mean, things would be looking very strong going forward. Um, but they're not. They're actually going to make things worse. They, they can't I, I mean, they can't help themselves, but this is who they are. They're going to make things worse. And it's uh, it's disappointing, of course, because I want. I know this sounds so trite. I know this sounds so uh, saccharine. I want what's best for the country. I want the country to be doing well. And I want us to have our lives back and our freedom back. And, and I want to get past this whole COVID nightmare. Democrats still feel like there's a lot they need to get out of this. They haven't squeezed all the juice out of this lemon yet. That's really the, that's really the mentality. I mean, have they have they used this yet to address the emergency of climate change? No, they have not. So how could they move past it? Well, we all understand. That's why they're trying to extend this as long as they can. And they certainly don't want to give any credit to uh, Biden's predecessor or anything. Here's Jen Psaki. Play 15.
4: You are following some
6: of the same playbook here. So does the prior administration deserve some credit for laying the groundwork?
5: Wh- which ones are we following?
6: Well, for instance, a former... Trump
5: HHS Assistant Secretary Admiral Brett Girard has said that you're following 99 percent of the playbook they created on vaccines. Uh, He has said that, that the prior administration deserves more credit
6: here for at least getting the ball rolling on some of these.
5: I don't think anyone deserves credit when half a million people in the country have died of this pandemic. Uh, So what our focus is on and when the president's focus is on when he came into office just over a month ago was ensuring that we had enough vaccines. We have we are going to have them now. We had enough vaccinators and we had enough vaccine locations to get this pandemic under control. Uh, There's no question. And all data points to the fact that there were not enough of any of those things when he took office. Uh, We are open eyed about the challenge we continue to uh, live under and that's why he has been focused every single day and doing everything possible to get the pandemic under control Uh, but those were there were shortages in all those areas uh, which were preventing us from moving forward on getting the pandemic under control
1: shortages in all of those areas huh no no credit notice no credit for anybody except a lot of credit for joe biden right Look, look at the the way she did that. No credit for the vaccine, but credit for ramping up vaccine production. What's the bigger what's the bigger miracle, folks, getting a vaccine done in in truly record time of one year or uh, a vaccine, uh, you know, upping, upping the number of vaccine that's being produced? I, I just I'm curious which one of those things do you think is a bigger hurdle. Is it discovering the cure or, or making more of a cure that you're already making millions and millions of doses of but Jen soki says no credit for anybody what she means is no credit for Trump of course
5: between covid where we need to have vaccinations more broadly in the capital so that many more people can come here and do th- their jobs uh, and uh, the threat of um, of all the president's men out there uh, we have to we have to ensure with our security, uh, that we are safe enough to
1: do our job, but not impeding. What about this supposed massive threat to the Capitol? Didn't happen. Nothing happened, really, except a lot of troops walking around with nothing to do, a lot of barbed wire and big metal fencing and makes it look like D.C. is the DMZ. What the heck is this all about? Our friend Jack Posobiec from One America News with us now, former naval intelligence uh, officer, and we're going to talk about all this. Jack, Mr. Poso, good to see you.
6: Buck, really appreciate being here. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yesterday I was down there. I was boots on the ground. It was a harrowing experience, but fortunately I made it out by the skin of my neck.
1: Yeah, you, you made it out okay. I mean, there probably were some guys... I don't know, selling T-shirts out there or, uh, you know, it was like capital. I-, I saw some photos. I didn't see anybody. Was anything well, happening? At one
6: point, I can say that I can confirm that at one point a uh, a couple walked past me. They were walking a dog. I thought at first it may be a dangerous dog like a, you know, like a pit bull or Rottweiler, but it was a golden retriever. Now, I don't know if it was trained for, you know, uh, an, you know attack. like It was an attack golden retriever. But, yeah, yeah, no, Buck, I, I was there yesterday. My, my building, the One American News Studio, it's right at Constitution Avenue. So literally right out front of the gate where we uh, where we go in and out of the building is the barricades, the razor wire, and the troops with machine guns, who every time I film out there, it seems like they don't recognize me, even though I'm the same guy who does it every day, because they always check me and say, hey, do you have credentials? What are you doing? What do you I, say, I'm, I work here, right? I work here. Uh, I was walking around all day. There were about they were actually about um, the entire militia the um, the uh, trump's men the president's men as as Pelosi called it uh, it ended up being about four people who showed up in in maga hats saying that they were that they were trump supporters so i think i think we're calling it the unsurrection it was the unsurrection of uh, of march 2021 <laughs> the, the we call
1: the the, the, the non the non surrection we call <laughs> a lot of a lot of things here uh, jack what what was the you know it's always amazing to me how many of these uh, lib journos out there know so much more than i do about qanon usually things that are supposedly on the right or on the right in some capacity i'm i'm educated all, all, educating all the liberals on but they are they are experts these people have phd's now in qanon uh what was the supposed the 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 threat that pelosi was so worried about was that there was a qanon internet posting about how Trump was actually going to take office yesterday, right? Wasn't that what it was?
6: Yeah, so someone posted, and for, for anyone who isn't you know, up to speed on their QAnon knowledge, um, they, they posted the, on these anonymous message boards on the Internet that's very hard for you know for anyone to find, because keep taking them down, changing the title of it. But the idea was, so March 4th historically used to be Inauguration Day. Uh, it was later changed January. And so there were people who were thinking that there was a secret plan afoot, And that Trump would actually be brought in using that original inauguration date of March 4th. And so this then, because somebody wrote that somewhere on the Internet, um, not even on 4chan, it's even a a lesser known site than 4chan. um, The entire media took that post and blew it up to astronomical proportions. The FBI, the DHS were writing assessments on it, Buck. And I know you and I both know what that means. Uh, and they actually shut down U.S. government yesterday. They shut down the House of Representatives. They had troops marching because of an Internet post anonymously on a message board.
1: Unbelievable. I and mean, Jack and I both have written threat assessments in our day, Jack, for the uh, for the military and me for the CIA. So, you know, Jack, I think it's it's important for everybody to realize threat reporting If if you're not going to to gauge its credibility or if you're just going to we live in a world of constant threat reporting. It's a fire hose every day.
6: Yeah. If you're going to take every social media post that some guy fires off because they're mad at whatever and act as if that's some kind of actual threat, people would be you'd be floored. Right. That's going on everywhere all the time. The Internet releases the inner it of, of, you know, anyone that really goes on there, especially with through the, the cloak of anonymity. That is is available to so many of these sites, and it's it's actually been a place where people can just kind of release their their you know pent up anger and frustration in many of these cases. Um, but for our intelligence community to use this, for our government to use this, and for politicians to use this, we've literally got to the point now where we are taking these far left wing conspiracies—that's what they are—and we're using them to run our government. So I've, I'm taking a switch on it. So we had the we had the. Insurrection. we had joe biden's uninauguration. so i'm calling this now instead of QAnon. this is blue anon this is all blue anon
1: meaning that blue checks on social media are the ones who are are blowing complete and, and it's really they're blowing these this this alleged threat of a of another insurrection or coup or whatever out of proportion but but jack and we're speaking to jack Pasobic of of one american news here uh, jack to me this is, It's intentional. They, at some level, a lot of them have to know that this is absurd, but they like the theatrics.
6: Well, see, people need to understand two things now. Number one is the entire time that Joe Biden has been in office, and I refer to him as the current occupant of the White House, the entire time Washington, D.C. has been under military occupation, even before he, uh, he occupied that office. So you know, for those of you who aren't in the district, right, I'm, I am I, can't park my car. I literally can't park my car because there are barricades, razor wire and soldiers with machine guns blocking the way. This has been every single day Joe Biden's been in office and the local residents of D.C. are fed up with it. You've got even the D.C. representative um, for the district who's a Democrat, a revered Democrat. She's come out against this. Uh, you, you even had Amy Klobuchar in the Senate saying, look, this, this is untenable. We cannot continue this. It is Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden who's basically doing their bidding that is continuing this. And the fact that it's still going on, that we're forcing these soldiers to be out there. It's quite cold in D.C. right now. It's March, by the way. It's incredibly windy. And it's 24-7 that they're standing this watch. It's ridiculous. This is the 21st century. If we're worried about something, if you have a credible threat, then go arrest them, right? Right. There's no need for this level of physical security in a day and age where we have drones where we have uh, we can you know stingrays and we can you know track cell phones, et cetera, et cetera. There's absolutely no reason for this other than trying to turn us into some kind of totalitarian dystopian hunger games nightmare vision of what the United States should be.
1: Explain to me what the heck is going on here with this this news story just from today that Lieutenant General Russell Honore has recommended twenty four seven Quick reaction force, a QRF for the military folks out there, of D.C. Guard to protect the Capitol in his Pelosi-ordered review of the MAGA riot. What the? A a QRF in addition, Jack, to the thousands of troops? I mean, it really is like they think that a a brigade-sized Taliban force is going to descend on the Capitol at any moment, except, of course, it's MAGA, not Taliban.
6: Yeah, I mean, the level of deployment that we saw early on with the 26,000, I mean, that's the type of force you would need if, like, the Chinese were coming up the Chesapeake Bay, right? Or, or, or the Russian Akulas, uh, that's their submarines, were spotted going, going past Norfolk. I mean, this is not it's, – it's just completely unrealistic to what anyone's possibly thinking of. The, this is the type of force you would need for a state-on-state-level conflict. If this is, I mean, fuck, you've worked counterterrorism. This is not how we do. If there was an actual terrorist threat, this is not how you would deal with it, any way, shape, or form. You go ask David Petraeus. You go ask the coin. This is actually the opposite of coin strategy, by the way. If you go and remember the uh, the David Petraeus stuff, even though it didn't work that well, this is the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. It's because, because, for the reason being, for people who don't aren't read up on that, is because when you create such a massive target like this. People have said it actually upsets the populist and potentially increases the occurrence of this happening.
1: Speaking of Jack Posobiec of of One America News Network, Jack, I, I feel like they're going to continue this as long as they can, because this is this is kind of a, a fundamental plank now of, of the Democrat Biden administration that they are under that whatever they do is justified by this premise that the actual government itself is under mortal threat from the opposition, meaning Trump voters. And I think they're going to keep extending this as long as they can.
6: Look, folks, when when the histories of this are written um, and whether we're writing them or or uh, the schools are pushing some government line at us, you have to tell everyone that Joe Biden and his coterie of oligarchs occupied our capital city for the entire first few months of his administration they brought in the military they brought in armed guards and razor wire to establish the joe biden administration what they do with that remains to be seen but we cannot allow this fact to escape us we this is our city right remember last year last year hundreds of cities across the united states saw violence that was higher than any year since the 1990s, homicides and, and and violent crimes, massive rise, right? But in some of those states, we couldn't even get the National Guard. Why? Because they had Democrat governors from California, New York, Pennsylvania, Oregon. No National Guard was called in, even though these, these lootings, these riots, these attacks were taking place night after night in Minneapolis. And so Minneapolis, they almost burned down the, the police precinct up there in Seattle. They took over the armed militants, took over six blocks of an entire of the downtown Capitol. I was there at the Chaz. Right. Yet in D.C., there was one. And albeit, yes, it was a violent riot that took place. There were a small percentage of people that became violent. Yet they have used that to create the political theater to remind everyone who has power. Keep in mind, Buck, they know exactly what they're doing here they are sending a message to each and every american out there that if you dissent this is what you will get jack
1: what what can you tell us about why we haven't yet um and we're speaking to jack Posobic of one american news we we haven't yet been able to get an explanation an official explanation for the death of officer brian sicknick i just at what point is it clear this is some kind of this is intentional withholding and, and it's because they don't want people to know the truth.
6: Well, Buck, this is part of the two-tier justice system that we've been talking about for years now here in the United States. They will use the power of the FBI and their bully pulpit to crowdsource the doxing of MAGA grandmas and teenagers who were completely peaceful walking around taking selfies inside the United States Capitol. They felt they were on tour. They didn't even break past the velvet ropes. We can all see that. But... Why haven't we seen any of the footage, the supposed footage that they tell us they have of Officer Sicknick? Not a single image of that video has come out. They claim there's a suspect now that originally they said it was a fire extinguisher and that he was bashed in the head and it was this terrible thing. It was brought up in the impeachment trial. It was used to great uh, political theater by Nancy Pelosi. And, and of course, obviously, we, we don't want that to happen. We honor his service. But uh, she said, she used this, As a political weapon against Trump and against Trump supporters, yet when the actual facts come out, it turns out there was no fire extinguisher. They're now saying that the the latest theory is that he had a bad reaction to some bear spray. They say there's footage of an individual spraying bear spray, and yet they won't release that footage. Instead, the FBI is going around to MAGA grandmoms, who many of them didn't even go into the Capitol. And if they did, were doing so peacefully. Buck, again, The government, the establishment is sending everyone a message.
1: Jack Posobiec, everybody. One America News Network. Uh, Go check out Jack's latest there. And uh, Jack, man, stay safe. Watch out. Watch out for those uh, crazy unsurrectionists on the streets of
6: D.C. You take care of yourself. All right. I think I see a pigeon. Hold on. I got to go. In
1: order to open
5: these doors, we do not say open Sesame. We say open Biden." That's
1: our magic word. <laughs> open Biden. I love it. I hope, I hope, uh, I'll
3: open Biden. Uh, in order to open the stores. With-
1: Guys, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are the two most powerful Democrats in the United States of America. And Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are too old to be doing this. OK, there 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 is a a life cycle, there is a clock, there is a. Uh, it's one, Look, it's one of the reasons why I'm concerned about Trump even. i mean, running at, you know, running at 77, 78 years old for president. I mean, what are we going to start having people running in their mid 80s? We're going to elect somebody to be president when they're 90. Is that really where we're heading with all this? Anyway, I mean, just, you know, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Democrats pretend to be serious people that think through things, and then they, then they have Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House. I, I just can't let that go. It's not something that I'm able to. Oh, oh speak, Speaking of people who are too old for the job, here's, uh, here's the Bur- Bernie Sanders. It's been a long time. We haven't heard from Mr. Bernie Sanders in a very long time. He has not really fully come forward to tell us what he has been up to. We are missing the burn. The burn should be with us more because he's a socialist. And right now, Democrats are pushing for their socialism without everybody actually saying what it is. Bernie is upfront about it.
0: Here he is, play uh, 16. You got young people who want to go to school, want to socialize, want to date, want to do things that young people do. And they can't do it and have been unable to do that. For the last year, and that has resulted in a very sharp increase in mental illness in this country, something, by the way, that this legislation also deals with.
1: Bernie's right about the the dangers and the problems of. The lockdowns, what it's done to people, but, you know, this covid bill is not actually going to solve all of this, as, as we know, but they're using it and they're exploiting it, as we know, they do with everything. And it's just so it's so disappointing. You, you'd think that during a global pandemic, some of the more partisan impulses of the left could at least be I know they would never be uh, gone, but they would at least be downplayed a bit. But that has certainly not certainly not happened. Uh, in fact, if anything, it, it, it ignites it, it uh, exacerbates extreme partisan partisanship in the Democrat mind. One one story that I want you to start to think about, because it's going to be a big story we're talking about here in the weeks ahead on the show. Um, Minneapolis. I know we've got a we got a great audience up in Minneapolis on the Buck Sexton show. So thank you all for listening. Um, Minneapolis spends more than one million dollars on barricades ahead of the Derek Chauvin trial next week. According to the Daily Bail here the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. Businesses are terrified, and, and rightly so, of what's going to happen. Here's what the Daily Wire's uh, sorry, the Daily Mail is reporting. Barbed wire and metal barricades have been erected around the Hennepin County courthouse where Chauvin's murder trial is set to start this Monday with jury selection. City, state and federal leaders have had been holding security briefings dubbed operation safety net. The multi-agency security plan includes closures of certain public buildings and streets and extra security cops and national guard deployed. Small business owners are boarding up their windows, erecting fencing, coalition of 17 activist groups have vowed to stage a peaceful protest monday and throughout the trial we'll see how peaceful it is some city officials are concerned about where this is going to go a billion dollars worth of damage and 1500 businesses in minneapolis during the blm riots before were impacted minneapolis i'm praying for you but uh batten down the hatches
0: rock and roll fellow patriots it's time for roll call
1: Facebook.com slash Buck Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to get in on all the latest on the roll call, we've got to check in with our buddy, Producer Mark. What words of wisdom do you have for us today? What are you, what are you doing this weekend?
3: Uh, I'm actually going to get a vaccine tomorrow. What? Yeah. I got really? An appointment. How? Uh, I got lucky. I saw somewhere on Twitter that there were appointments, and it was for the Johnson & Johnson one, so only one shot. I'm going to the Javits Center tomorrow. They're doing it twenty four seven, so I'm going a little after midnight. I'd rather go then when there's probably not as big of a line.
1: Wow, yeah. good for you! Oh, huh, look yeah, at that! Exciting. Producer Mark going to be like a super Superman after this. I can, I can, uh, I, you know, if I cough in your general—well, I haven't seen you in a year, so I haven't. Please if don't I cough, cough
3: in my general direction, even if I am vaccinated. That's just yeah, disgusting. It,
1: but that's true. But if I were to cough right now in your general direction, that would have to be. A superhuman cough to hit you. Well, that, yeah. the, the, that 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 uh, spittle would have to go. I don't know, probably about ten miles. Yeah,
3: so. you'd have to cross a river. Or it'd be a whole. Forest. I mean,
1: I got pipes because I do radio every day. But that's a real like that's some yeah. That's like a heat-seeking missile. That that's a JDAM of of spit. I don't think I'd be able to do that. Yes, so. I, I don't enough. think that'll work. Well, good for you though with get with getting the appointment, getting it done. Um, yeah. any any other fun plans? You and Mrs. Mark, got anything on the books? Well,
3: no, nothing really fun. Just a lot of packing.
1: You know, we're we'll oh, moving no. uh, soon. So. Oh, how soon are you moving?
3: Uh, end of April. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, we, we like up. to pack a
3: little early. I know you. But uh, you, uh, you
1: haven't yet. You haven't yet finalized where you're going, right?
3: No, not yet. Somewhere on Long Island. Uh, had a little uh, issue with the condo uh, that we tried to buy, so we're tr- still trying to figure stuff out.
1: Isn't it amazing how much paperwork and stuff is involved in these things? You uh, know,
3: you sign your life away.
1: You just—it's just so much, and you're always thinking, like, what do I and and, you know, you go through all this paperwork, and then all it takes is one annoying neighbor, and you're like, God, I wish I hadn't moved here in the first place. So Yeah,
3: I've uh, heard uh, HOA horror stories, which is something that uh, you have to deal with with a condo.
1: Yeah, no, I know. Oh, gosh. Well, that's exciting, though, moving out to the, the, the island of Strong, known as Strong Island. That'll be fun.
3: Not the first time I've lived there, so yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. You're a Strong Island guy. Ooh, uh, well, I'm Marks, I'm a
3: Queens guy. Hold on.
1: Yeah, but if we're really talking about the geographic landmass known as Long Island, though, Queens is technically a part of Long Island.
3: OK, but it's not. Just uh, you
1: know, you know, who I got to do this? I got to do it with uh, with our, our buddy Ryan Gruduski. I saw him recently and uh, and I was making fun of him because he kept saying he's from New York. And I was like, Brian, I mean, uh, uh, Ryan, you're, you're not from New York. You're from Queens. <laughs> he hated, that, oh, hated you, no. that.
3: Yeah, that is just offensive. Yeah, that's it. He he said yeah. he
1: was like he was like, How dare you, sir? I was like, look, I'm just I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm taking the snow princess out uh, this week and we're gonna get some Mexican food. Because for me that's like if I if I'm just go if I'm gonna really, you know, get in a in a festive mood, Mexican food really does it for me. I like it. So I'm taking the snow princess out. We're gonna the, grab a... you get festive? Yeah, With I get festive. Food,
3: do you like wear a sombrero?
1: No, not like <laughs> that, sir. I do not culturally appropriate <laughs> Mexican culture. I just eat their food. Good heavens. Good heavens, I mean, you sir. You sounded like you wanted to get festive. Well, I just meant, you know, in general, like if I'm going to have a couple of margaritas, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get after it a little bit. Yeah, but, I don't you know, disagree
3: yeah. that Mexican food is one of my favorites.
1: Producer Mark, <laughs> now we don't, have to, we don't have to, you know, go there, but we both know that finding a sombrero that would fit my head. Would also, I'd have to get a special order sombrero. I don't even know if that's possible.
3: You'd have to get one of those novelty ones you see in those like shops when you're on vacation. Yeah,
1: I would have to wear the sombrero that other people wear, the where they have like the giant, like fuzzy finger kind of a thing, like it's intentionally too big. I'd have to get that sombrero, and even then, I'm not sure it would really fit. You know, I, I do have my special, my special sized hat now. So I finally, after so many years of adulthood, I finally have a baseball cap. That fits normally over my head because I found an internet site where they'll make hats for people with giant noggins.
3: Well, it's just a generic baseball cap?
1: Yeah. It's like wow. white white and like navy blue hat. That's, that's what I have. Yeah, because I don't think they I don't think they can they don't pay the um you know, you have to like if you're gonna wear a Mets hat, like that's Mets merchandise, technically you gotta so this is just like we will make you a hat, large head person. And that's what I am. Well, so good thing I'm I, not
3: trying to buy you a Met hat. I don't even know if i have been able to find that size. Yeah.
1: I had to go to, you know, big big uh, bigheadhat.com what or something. What
3: size so. would you be like in a fitted hat?
1: Bruce remarked, we really have to go it doesn't exist, buddy. I'm just curious. I'm the I'm the I go into a fitted hat store kid. This used to happen when I was younger too, and I'm like, excuse me, sir, I would like to buy a baseball hat so I can look cool like all the rest of my peers. And they're like, "All right, young man." They like try to like, you know, they're like, "Here you go." And I'm like, "Yes, I want a Yankees hat." Don't make fun of me. I want a Yankees hat. And I would try to put it on, and they're like, it "Doesn't really fit." And then they try to, and I'm like, "You're not actually going to make my skull smaller. This is not going to happen." So they would try to pull it down over my head, and it wouldn't work. And then I'd feel sad. And then there was the sadness because I wasn't normal because my head was too big. So it's I right. think I told you it's true story. I had to when I was a baby. This is this is actually real. I'm not I'm not even kidding. When I'm a baby. Uh, my mom had to, the, at the pediatricians, um, you know, ad, advice or whatever pediatricians, uh, orders, I, I had to come in, I think every like three weeks or four weeks for the first six months. And they took a tape measure around my head because my head was just on the borderline of being so big that they were like, maybe there's a problem and they might have to like drain fluid or something. That's how big my head was.
3: Your poor mother.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had to go in and do a tape measure around my head. But I was—I was always Guinness
3: Book of World Records.
1: Yeah. All all right, you jerk. (laughs) But but I will tell you, you oh, I always was technically normal. Like I was ninety eighth percentile, but I was always technically normal for uh, for for head size. So you know, so you can't. I wasn't a weirdo, okay? But I was pretty close. All right, let's get into what the folks think about all this. He can write into emails and tell producer Mark he's being a big meanie. Mike, Buck, as a Mississippi resident, I've been critical of our governor's handling of the Wuhan flu and give him little to no credit for reopening. My gut instinct is that he's only reopening now because he's hoping he can prevent a primary challenge when he's up for reelection. There's been significant criticism of him by other Republicans in the state, and he was a really weak rhino that was lucky to win in his first term. Still, I'm thankful some of the farce will be ending here. Shields high. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I got to tell you, I think um, this is something that I didn't really. I was I've told you this. I get so happy at the notion of reopen. I'm so enthusiastic about reopen that I didn't. Usually I'm very I don't like to say that I'm cynical, but I have a I, I take a hyper realistic view of things. That's just my that's how I view everything, personal relationships, professional world politics. I'm just I'm hyper realistic and it can be very useful for being correct. But, you know, it also means that sometimes maybe you come across as a little bit cynical or a little bit uh, judgmental Um, on this one. I got a little I got a little romanticized. Like, yay, Mississippi and Texas are opening. And and then it's like, uh, oh, but they're not really. Up. But you know, the day a day later, I had to be, I you know, the usual buck had to kick in. I say, oh, all right, they're not really reopening. They're not really doing what they said they're going to do. So that's you gotta gotta keep that in mind. That's where where this also is. Um, I mean, the real look, it, it matters. I mean, I was right to be happy about the policy. I'm not saying that, but there were other factors I uh, involved in the Texas and Mississippi decisions. And Governor Reeves, from what i just said, people have said he's really not been good on this. I know Governor Abbott hasn't been good on this all along. So, Mike, very, very fair points, man. Um, and I, by the way, I'm with you. I'm, st- I'm thankful that some of the farce will be ending here, you wrote. That's where I, I, I just want it to stop. right? I just want the madness to, to stop. Alex writes, hey, Buck and Mark, as a fellow New Yorker, I'm tired of everyone beating up on the Big Apple. Like you, I love New York City, even though we're going through a rough patch. The city has been knocked down before and has always rebounded. My wife and I are currently in the process of buying a place in Chelsea. I'm putting my money where my mouth is and placing a bet on New York City's triumphant return. If everyone bails, the place will definitely go down in flames. Let's keep our shields high and protect New York City. Love the show. I listen every day and never miss a chance to pass the buck. Well, Alex, thank you so much and uh, appreciate your support. And it's good to have other... Uh, other sound thinkers here in new york city and and yeah look I mean I love new york i I've been a New Yorker my whole life and I've been somebody who defended this place for years and years when everyone's been telling me to leave and everything else it just has been so hard to like this place with the taxes and the nonsense and the craziness that's been going on it's been a real challenge and you know i I think uh i'm hope I'm hopeful that it comes back sooner than even I would anticipate. So, so Alex, I, I hear you on all that, and uh, I would like the city to go back to what it was. New York used to be special enough that even with all the downside, I never questioned why I was living here. This last year has been the first time where I really felt like it wasn't, the trade-off wasn't worth it. You know, maybe it's like if, if you're in your personal relationships, your personal life, Maybe some of you have dated somebody, you know, before you're married, you dated somebody who you always felt like, well, maybe they've got this shortcoming or that shortcoming. But there's one thing about them for some of the guys. It might be she's really hot for some of the girls. It might be, you know, he's really funny or whatever. Right. But there was something that overcame whatever your qualms were. For me, it's like this year in New York City was the first time looking at my relationship in New York City. I thought, I don't know. I don't know if. Uh. I don't know if you're pulling your weight in this relationship, New York. You know, I don't, I don't know if you're really getting it done anymore. So I hope that that changes. You know, I hope that that changes. Um, John, Buck, I heard a few nights ago you like chinchillas. And I thought that if you wanted one, you can train them to become more diurnal. If you want a small critter, you can adapt to your schedule. A ferret is ideal as they will adjust to you and they sleep 18 hours a day. So, John, you know, ferrets are actually a surprisingly popular pet that I, I've read. I don't think you're allowed to have them in New York City. And, and I also, uh, I, there's something about a ferret that I would always be worried. It's And this is just, I know, maybe this is my anti-ferret bias coming out. You know? Did you know that was a thing, Producer Mark? Because I just came up with a term. That's new. Yeah, new. Hmm. Uh, anti-ferret bias um, is that I always feel like a ferret is going to bite me. There's something about them, maybe because they're, they're you know, a weasel or related to weasels, and, and I just feel like a ferret's going to bite me. I don't know what it is. Um,
3: so you're saying you'd rather have things like an otter in your home or a fox, and you're not worried about them biting you or anything, but a ferret is your line.
1: Yeah. Really? An otter's not going to bite you, dude. They're always chilling on their back, cracking open mollusks. Right, I'll otter's- give you the otter, but a fox? No, a fox is a little... That I'm a little crazy on that one. Yeah, uh, Deborah, a.k.a. Snow Princess, actually pulled up a photo on her phone of what a fox's teeth look like, and they it, they are terrible. They have, like, uh, like, canines that are super long and sharp and look like razor blades. So, like, yes, technically, that's probably not... A, but, I mean, ot- Otter looks like it's just smoked a blunt or something. He's, like, on his back. He's chilling. Otters, every photo you look at of an otter, it looks like they're cracking open a can of Pringles and just hanging out in the, in the water. It's it's like, it's like me on pool day. So
3: I can't, I don't even have a response.
1: <laughs> so I'm just saying I'm speechless. Yeah. I'm just saying an otter would be, would be a great, I need somebody on team buck who has a pet otter to write in and send us some photos. Okay. I know one of you does. I know we have millions of people who listen. I know I usually say hundreds of thousands. I'm actually being modest. We actually now have millions of people, um, you know, month to month who are listening to this show. So I, I, I need one of you, Team Buck, who has a pet otter or a pet fox or both. You got to write in, tell us what it's like and send us some photos. So, Or so more that
3: likely can, a zookeeper or an aquarium worker.
1: Yeah, or, or somebody. It might, it's probably somebody who has an animal rescue. I'm sure we got somebody with an animal rescue out there. But you know, tell us what they're like because I'm really curious and you can tell me if, if I'm completely crazy that I think these would be fun pets. More roll call to kick us off into the weekend. Chuck, hey, Buck and Producer Mark, here's a quick observation for your next roll call. People often call Joe Biden Creepy Joe, but have you noticed how creepy it is that Kamala Harris shadows him at almost every move he makes? She's always lurking behind him when he's speaking at the podium or shuffling around the room. It's almost like she's standing by to deflect questions. Um, I mean, Chuck... I think that I mean she's the vice president. I think the vice president's usually in the background all the time. I, I, don't, I don't know if I find that one. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, Chuck, I got to think more. About, I, don't, I don't really see that one. I'll be honest with you. But I, I appreciate you writing in. And maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, I, I actually don't watch that many Biden speeches, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really uh, spend a lot of time thinking about what Biden's next words will be, because I think Biden doesn't really yeah, I'm read over prompter. And then I'm going to read some more words. And I'm going to look with squinty eyes into the camera. And maybe I'll start yelling for no apparent reason. You know, And then I'll have a little bit of blonde hairs on my legs. And the kids will come by. And I'm from Delaware, but sometimes I like to sound like I'm from a different part of the country. Because it makes me seem more approachable. And yeah, anyway, you got the Joe Biden guys, guys, uh deeply, deeply uh, inept and unimpressive. But this is who the president is. Uh, let's see here. TJ Buck, having Trump primary and critical Republicans in red districts is all well and good. But getting good Republican candidates in purple districts, currently blue districts, I think should be the bigger priority for 2022. For example, I live in the third congressional congressional district of Iowa, where our current U.S. representative, Democrat, Cindy Axney won with 49 percent of the vote against a milk toast David Young, who lost his incumbency to her in 2018. By comparison, though, Trump actually won the third district in vote count, 50 percent. Well, I don't have the time and the resources. I'm sure this is not the only example of congressional districts where Trump won, but the Republican congressional candidate lost. It would be good to see Trump's new PAC target and support new and better candidates. For such districts, in addition to those Republicans who have been critical against Trumpism. In fact, as I said earlier, districts like mine should probably take priority over those where Republicans already sit. T.J., um, astute observations. I do believe that Trump will be helping to pick who he thinks are strong candidates, too. It won't just be uh, it won't just be shooting down bad Republican candidates. Team, we are uh, we are at weekend time now. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining. Honor, privilege, and a pleasure. Please pass the buck to one person this weekend. Do me that favor. Get one new person to listen to Buck Sexton Show podcast. Go to bucksexton.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, everybody. Shields high.